0: to be with all of you today uh, i'm it's fun to see the growth we were talking about that see what the lord's done in in among you in the last uh year uh, i i feel a little bit like the children in narnia who show up from time to time and everything has changed dramatically because the period of time has gone by uh, so i'm very encouraged encouraged by your leadership encouraged by ben uh, just glad to see what God is doing uh, among you. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited that the Vestry has voted to move toward parish status. Uh, that's no small thing. Uh, we're about to have a confirmation at the moment where people are making public vows, and for the young men, it's a sign of uh, entering into spiritual adulthood. And in a way, it, becoming a parish is like that. You've grown to a point where you take greater responsibility uh, for your ministry uh, um, among your community. It's, it's, it's exciting. So I'm praying for you that those pieces will fall into place, but uh, it, it really is a sign of what the Lord has done here. I want to talk about a difficult thing to start with this morning, and uh, the moment I mention it, there will be some of you who just cringe a little bit, and I'm just going to encourage you to ignore the cringe factor. Hang in there with me. It'll be all right. Um, but I want to talk about what we're seeing around the world. We've seen all the pictures of immigrants and refugees at borders, not just in our country, but literally around the world. And some of the largest migrations in history are taking place right now. The Brexit debate itself is becoming hinged on the question as to whether there will be an open border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Immigration and the related issue of citizenship When immigrants come in, what's their status? Could they ever be citizens? It seems that those two issues are a constant barrage in the news. I I can't think of a night in the last several weeks where that hasn't been one of the topics one way or another. The heart of the issue is, who's allowed into a country? And then once they're here, can they become a citizen? What do they have to do to be a citizen? What are the rights of a citizen? That's a question literally around the world, not just in the US. Now it's hard for many of us to relate to that because most of us have been born as citizens of this country. We have a tendency to take it for granted, to assume that we have a right to be here. We can easily forget that with the exception of Native Americans, we are all descendants of people who either decided to immigrate or were brought here by force. Our situation reminds me of a somewhat poor old joke, so bear with me. What is the difference between an environmentalist and a developer who wants to turn a beautiful virgin forest into a development with cabins in the woods? The answer is, the environmentalist already has a cabin in the woods. (laughs) Most of us have citizenship. We never knew what it was like not to be a citizen. We can forget the rights of a citizen. They're just been, it's just part of our history. Well, in our spiritual history, which is what we're gonna be looking at this morning, we also have an immigrant past. As we saw in the Old Testament reading, at the end of it, it says, verse 18, if you'll turn to it, it says, on that day, as the day the Lord appears to Abram, later Abraham, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. But Abraham doesn't get it. He's just, if you will, an immigrant or a refugee with no status. The only land he ever owns there is his grave. He was an immigrant to the land of Canaan. Canaan. We also forget on the New Testament side that Jesus was a refugee. His parents were told by God to go to Egypt for their safety shortly after his birth. Remember that before them, their ancestors had gone to Egypt for food. Now, I am not capable or called to solve the immigration problems we face as a nation, and I'm not gonna preach on them today, but as Christians, looking at our spiritual background, we must approach all of those issues of immigration and citizenship with humility and mercy, asking for wisdom for our leaders. But as I said, I wanna focus on what it means to be in the kingdom of God, to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Something that Jesus talked about, preached about all the time. Now, you need some background. Sometimes we misunderstand what's going on in the ministry of Jesus. He's speaking into a situation that has been wrestling with the question of citizenship and who their king is for a long time. Prior to the time of Jesus, the Jewish people coming back from exile had a moment where they had their own country under the Hasmoneans, going back to the Maccabean Revolt. But they lost it. And finally Rome came in and took over and gave them a king who was not really their own king, namely Herod. And as a result of that takeover, When Jesus comes in, he's coming into a situation where people are acutely aware that we had citizenship, we had our own country, and now we don't. We're under another ruler. And as a result of that, what happens in the time of Jesus is that the Jewish community breaks into, basically, four groups. And they're all having a different response to the fact that they are under oppression. You have the Sadducees, who are sort of the go-along to get-along group, who, who work with uh, Herod, uh, who try to rule with him, but they're complicit with him, not unlike some of the French that worked with the Nazis. You have the zealots, the terrorists, the ones who say, we will never give in, we will always stand opposed, we will use violent means as necessary to try to get rid of this Roman rule. You have the Essenes who basically say we're heading out to the wilderness until this whole thing is over. Uh, We're hiding out. And then we have the Pharisees who are basically saying we're going to live our lives as faithful Jews and not get more involved in that in the political issues of the day. We're just going to be ourselves. We're just going to hold true to what we believe. So not isolated, still within the the community, but also not primarily uh, politically motivated. Every time that there's an oppression in a country, you will see essentially those four groups. And that's the situation Jesus walks into, people who are wishing they had citizenship and are responding in different ways to the fact that they don't. And then there's another group. The Apostle Paul is a member of this, which are Jews who have become Roman citizens but generally not in the area of Judea or the rule under Herod. Everyone was acutely aware of the status that they had in their situation, unlike us who generally take our citizenship for granted. Now, as Christians, we have dual citizenship. Well, I was talking to Ben this morning, he asked has triple citizenship, British and American, and in the kingdom of God, but most of us only have two. We're obviously citizens of this country, but we're also citizens of the kingdom that God began with the ministry of Jesus, but it's not fully here yet. That's why we pray thy kingdom come. It really means keep thy kingdom coming. It's already begun, but we want it in its fullness. And there are times in dual citizenship where the values of our culture conflict with the values of the kingdom of God. That's always been true in every culture, not just America. The questions I wanna look at this morning is, strangely enough, it's a funny way to put it, I'll explain in a moment. First one is, what is insufficient to become a citizen in the kingdom of God, under God's rule? What is insufficient? Second question is, how does one become a citizen in God's kingdom And finally, what are the marks of citizenship in the kingdom of God? What is insufficient to become a citizen in the kingdom of God? How does one become a citizen? And what are the marks of citizenship in the kingdom of God? What is insufficient to become a citizen? Well, it's a strange way to ask the question, but it's actually what Jesus is focusing on in the gospel reading this morning, if you'll turn to Luke in your service leaflet. What isn't enough? How do you fail the citizenship test? Jesus tells a parable, an image of a banquet, referring, as you read through it, to the kingdom of God. It's very clear at the end that that's what he's talking about. The main door into the banquet has already been shut. All that is still open is the narrow servant's door, and that is about to be shut. And Jesus says, strive to enter. In other words, get in. Time is running out. There's an urgency to what he's saying, strive to enter. There's also great mercy in saying strive to enter. In other words, don't miss this chance. Year after year, I've been taking trips to Israel. Uh, Paul uh, went with us once, uh, and I encourage you, we're taking another one next year. If anybody wants to come, go to the website and join us. But year after year, I took trips, and year after year, I invited my parents. And year after year, my dad said something like, well, we can't do it this year, but we'll come next year. But then there came a year when their health changed. And therefore, they were never able to go. My father told me before he died that their one regret was that they didn't come when they could. And Jesus is saying, that narrow door is not opened forever. Forever. It will close, as we see in the parable. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you do not have unlimited time to decide. It's urgent. What's insufficient to come into the kingdom of God, according to the parable, is being around the master, hearing him teach, having him in your presence, but that was not enough to get in. It's interesting how he says, in one place it says, I never knew you, and this, and here in in, uh, Luke's version, uh, the line is, I don't know where you come from. I didn't know where you come from. Now, that's an interesting thing, because what's going on there is, we identify ourselves by our jobs, or uh, maybe by our family, but it was common to say, you are Jesus of Nazareth, or in the, in, we saw it in the Old Testament, Eleazar of Damascus. You identified somebody by where they came from. If you don't know where somebody comes from, what you're really saying is, I don't know you very well. We've never actually been in a personal relationship. We haven't really been introduced. And the master is saying to these people who are around, yes, but we were never in a personal relationship. And therefore, you cannot be admitted to the kingdom of God. Knowing about Jesus, being in a Christian culture or a Christian family or even in a church, even knowing the teachings of Jesus is insufficient for citizenship in the kingdom of God. It's a question of entering into a personal relationship with him, knowing him as Lord. Strive to enter. It's a loving invitation from Jesus. We have to know the master So how does one become a citizen? Well, you've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is, by which we mean that people don't really believe in an idea until they've actually invested in it. But in in some sense, in the biblical view of things, we have to put our mouth where our money is. If we're not willing to talk about something, we're not fully invested in it. And the spiritual equivalent is, unless you're willing to talk about God before others, unless you're willing to risk their reactions and perhaps even their rejection, or even worse, if you're willing to invest your reputa- if you're not willing to invest your reputation, you haven't fully put your mouth where your money is. You haven't put your mouth where your life is. Our mouth is a mark of what's going on in our hearts. We see it over and over again in the scriptures. If we're going to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. We have to hope in the reality of the risen Lord Jesus. Not only that he is the Lord who died for, all, for us on the cross, but that he's the Lord over every moment of our lives because he's now risen. He's nearer to us than we believe. And, if, and that has to be in the core of who we are. Paul puts it this way in Romans, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Or to put it another way, if you're not believing in your heart, you're not going to talk about it. And if you're not talking about it, it's questionable as to whether you believe it in your heart. Paul goes on to say, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So the citizenship test for the kingdom of God is a heart so convinced of the death and resurrection of the living Lord Jesus that we're ready to talk about it to others. And confirmation, what we're doing this morning, is a public telling of others that you have given your life, your time, your future, everything you have to the Lord Jesus who rescued you. Paul goes on to say in the same passage, going back to citizenship, this is interesting. He said, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To be a citizen in the kingdom of God is calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, putting our trust in the Lord Jesus No matter what our religious or ethnic or racial background, we who trust our lives to Christ are all citizens together in the kingdom of God. Years ago, I had the fascinating experience of going to the church of Uganda because our church came under the authority of Uganda for a while. I was under a Ugandan bishop. And going to Uganda to be in a country where I stood out in the crowd. I went to villages where the children there had never seen a white person before. And we, here comes this team. I had teenagers with me. It was quite an adventure. But we were all citizens of the same kingdom. We were all brought to the Lord. We all shared in the riches of Christ. Our identity was in him. That's another sermon. Now, when I travel, I use my passport as an ID as I go through TSA. It's usually faster than driver's license because it's more authoritative. It's a mark of my identity as a U.S. citizen wherever I go. And that leads to the question, well, what are the marks of citizenship in the kingdom of God? Turn to the Philippians passage that you have there. One mark is imitation, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Christians imitate other Christians. They especially imitate their leaders. In this case, he's saying as an apostle, imitate me. And of course, at the deepest level, and it says elsewhere, that we're to imitate Christ. We are imitators. We're trying to be like people who are being faithful. It's one mark of the citizenship of heaven. We should be reading the scriptures saying, how could I be like that? How could God transform me to be like that person? Or we should be reading Christian biographies. We need to read about the heroes of the faith. One primary mark of being a citizen in the kingdom of God is that we are trying to imitate Now, that's sort of countercultural. The culture says, be yourself. Well, okay, but ourselves are not in great shape. We'll say more about that in a minute. We need to look at others that call us closer to Christ and to be more like him. And then he describes the non-citizens of the kingdom of God, and by looking at them, we can try to have the opposite characteristics. Verse 19. The non-citizens, it says, their end is destruction. Well, our end, if we're in God's kingdom, will be complete restoration. And then he goes on to say, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. That's the mark of a non-citizen. So what is the opposite of that? Well, if, the God is, if their God is their belly, what he's saying is, the non-citizens are ruled by their desires. But we're to be ruled by God's desires for us. This is the primary difference right now between Christians and much of our culture. Because our culture tells us time and time again to follow our hearts, to trust our feelings, to identify ourselves by what we want or whom we're attracted to. We're told to just do it and there's nothing to be ashamed of. We should just be ourselves. And the scriptures do not say that. They tell us that our desires are not trustworthy. They're actually leading us to idols in a way. If we, make, if we make our desires our gods, we will end up in destruction. It's not to say we don't have good desires or healthy desires, but we also have evil desires, de- deadly desires, dangerous desires. Gospels tells us that our hearts are not trustworthy guides and that our identity is not to be found in our desires, but our identity is to be found in Christ. Now, that's not a word of restriction. That's a word of liberation to really become whom we were created to be and that there will be glory ahead. And then the passage closes, look at verse 20, with these words. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's saying, be a citizen in the kingdom of God. So where are you this morning, who are you? Are you clear that you're a citizen in the kingdom of God and more than that, a child of God? That the Lord Jesus has called you to strive to enter in and you have entered in to the kingdom? Do you understand and believe that you are called to show the marks of that citizenship in a world desperately waiting to see a better kingdom? We do not come into God's kingdom on our own. He longs and is able to bring us in if we call out to him. And if you are in the kingdom of God, ask Jesus to show how to imitate others. Ask Jesus how he wants to change you to be more like him. If you're not in the kingdom of God, ask the Lord to show you what is blocking your willingness to enter. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do not deserve on our own to be in your kingdom. But we thank you that while we have failed every test, as we put our trust in your son, he passed every test on our behalf, dying for our sins that we may be raised to new life. Help us to be those who call out for rescue and then, having been rescued, long to live for your kingdom and live differently in this world, imitating your son and those who follow him. We bless you for your love for us and we pray that our end would not be destruction but would be restoration as we are at banquet in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.